at me she goes oh my god you gave that last speech high fives me hugs me you know start screaming about how awesome <laughs> i was and i'm sitting there being like this is crazy literally just had one girl say that she hates my guts and another one said that she loves me welcome to revelations the place where we communicate truth to power i am cole johnson and i am so glad you're able to join us He is one of the most creative hustlers I have ever seen. He was born in the East Coast, but he took a little bit of that East Coast flavor out to the West Coast. And now he's jet-setting all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest, the CEO of The Creative Hustler, and the power just leaks through the speakers when you listen to him, Stephen Pacanza. Stephen is his name, and this is his revelation. Hey man, thanks for having me. I'm stoked. Uh, I'm stoked to be here. Let's, uh, you know, I, I love how you said, you know, you've got more power. It's going to be leaking through the speakers. I love it. I'm all about power. I'm all about energy and good vibes. So I'm, uh, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, and, and that was the one thing that leaped out at me when when I first got in contact with you. I said, man, this guy has a ton of energy, sort of like energy to spare, and <laughs> it's infectious. And I love that. I love that about you. I do. Right on, man. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So you are now in California, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but you were not a Cali guy. So where were you originally born? Yeah, originally I'm from uh, I'm from the south shore of Long Island, so right over the Queens border. So I was born and raised there, and then basically as a teenager, I was uprooted. Uh, my my father's job got relocated to to a, to he worked for a division of like General Dynamics, so got relocated here to Southern California. So as a teenager, um, all right, well we're going west. So my my nuclear family, my parents, my sister and I, we went to the farthest west that we can ever possibly imagine. So we went from Long Island all the way to to San Diego and sort of been here since, although, you know, my traveling has taken me all around the world a couple of times thus far. Um, Well, not not literally, but uh, at heart, man, I'm I'm a New Yorker. You could take the New Yorker out of New York, but you can never take the New York out of a New Yorker. And, um, you know, it's just, it's that city is so infectious and that city is, talk about energy, that city has, has more energy than I've ever, you know, um, than, than, than I think any other place in the world. And so, um, you know, being able to, to have lived and, and had my roots in New York and like Long Island, Queens, which is such a, um, a deep rooted area. And then to come out here to San Diego where the, there aren't deep roots, I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds. Um, you know, kind of this bi-coastal perspective on life. Mm. Yeah. It, it's interesting when I talk to anyone who has actually had spent any time in New York, any, any extended time in New York, whether like you, uh, whether you were natively from there or moved there because of school or, or business purposes, for some reason, that energy continues to be with them. And hmm, I, I want to stay with that for a second. What do you think that is? What, why do you think the that New York energy stays with someone when they actually get there and then when they leave, it still is there with them? What, what do you think? You know, it's a state of mind. And, and I know, you know, <laughs> Billy Joel's got the song, New York State of Mind. And, you know, it's so true. And I think it's because 
if you look at the history of New York, I mean, it is, it is a true melting pot of, of every nationality and every language and every color and creed and sexual orientation. There is everything there. And I think in order for, in order for all that, you know, chaos to, to actually um, have order, uh, it's got to be bound by the great energy um, that people are throwing out. And of course, there's bad seeds everywhere. And, and that goes without saying. But I think, you know, a big metropolis like New York that was so new and, you know, with the with the discovery of America and, you know, this kind of being the place um, where everyone kind of um, was like a magnet everyone came to. Um, I, I think that that is what makes New York as unique as it is is that just that collective when I mean, we talk about this in the business world you know you're clear you know your collective intelligence sometimes you are the sum of all the parts that um surround you if you're with a company or if you're with a brand you are the sum of all your parts i think the same thing goes it rings true for that city and for other major metropolitan metropolitan cities you know a san francisco might have a similar feeling or um a munich might you know in germany might have a similar feeling and i think it's just because of that collective intelligence and that collective energy that is so common concentrated in one specific area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it, I think it lends to the, the, the thought process of people drawing energy from others and mm. you have a big collection of people. It seems to, it seems to be that way. I'm, I'm from Houston, so not quite as huge as the New York area in terms of population, but yeah. uh, I, I do get the feel understanding of that because I've, I tasted a little bit of that living there. So I totally get that. Totally get that. Yeah. All right, so when did you move to California? I was in the late nineties. Originally I moved out to California. I actually graduated high school mm-hmm. out here in San Diego, which was just wild. I mean, I, I came from a very small, came from a, you know, I, for those who are not familiar with Long Island, uh, Long Island is, is, is the, the suburbia of New York. And, you know, um, it's very neighborhoody and it's very, uh, you know, blue collar. And I grew up in a small little, a small, I grew up on an island um, near the beach called Island Park. And, you know, it's, it didn't have a lot of people. I mean, in, in my little town, my little neighborhood, there's only 5,000 people, 4,000 people. But I was in the greater context of, you know, millions of people within Long Island. So my school district, for example, you know, we were tiny. We had, I, I had a hundred kids in like my eighth grade class or seventh grade class. And I come out here to San Diego and I'm in a school of like 1500 just in my one class. And I was, uh, it, it's amazing for a New Yorker to say I was culture shocked because I was, I had no idea what Tijuana was. I had no idea what like a Filipino was. And there's a lot of these races here in San Diego. And I was, I was flabbergasted because all I knew was Italian, Jewish, or Irish. because That's what I grew up with. And I had no idea there were these you know, um, all these different, you know, substats and all these different like micro communities and to come all of a sudden to be in a, in, in a, in a big school and to be the new kid, it was, um, you know, it was a challenge and it was tough, but you know, as you said in the beginning, Cole, like I have this, I have this personality. I could talk to anyone. I'm very outgoing. And so, you know, it was my first day of school. I was just talking to kids and I got in trouble. I got a couple of them. They were giving out demerits because I was talking in class. And I instantly made some friends, but um, it was it was a lot different because this, to me, at least, the caliber of people were were very, you know, it was a whole different vibe and a whole different like atmosphere. Um, and so that was, I think, you know, in my high school career, that was challenging. And I think um, luckily for me, I discovered my love for music at that same amount, at that same time. And so... Um, um, then that kind of ties into how I kind of created the creative hustler, um, you know, years later, but it was, 
based on like my love for the arts and my love for, for like these creative endeavors. And I think it really came about because of I had this really drastic move across the country. And so I needed that outlet to, uh, you know, to kind of de-stress and you know get my head aligned. Mm, okay. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's stick on the theme of love of music for a sec. Uh, so I'll ask, what is your instrument of choice? Sure. Uh, by by trade and, and whatnot, I'm a guitar player, but uh, I'm, I'm very rhythmic in how I approach guitar playing. I, I also play drums and I can play bass and I'm pretty musically inclined. But I mean, I've been a gigging musician for like the past 15 years or so. And there was a couple of years in my life where I actually made my whole living just being an, an artist, being a musician, gigging out three, four nights a week, sometimes five nights a week with a couple of jazz groups or some cover bands or whatnot. Um, and that was a that was a tough life lifestyle and uh but i i to this day still you know carry my guitar with me and i um that's just that's my that's my thing that's my go-to for sure mm. all right so which one do you like more you you said you you're more rhythmic and so you can actually be rhythmic playing guitar as well so what do you like to do more play the guitar or play the drums i like to play guitar mm, but if there's okay. a drum kit laying around i am i'm getting back <laughs> on a drum kit as well <laughs> just kind of you know getting into the Funny, we were down, uh, my wife and I, Melissa, my business partner, wife, life partner, co-host on the Creative Hustler, you know, we were in this together. We were down in Mexico about a month and a half ago. A friend of mine lives down there and we were at his friend's house and in his living room, he had set up, he had beautiful guitars and keyboards and a drum kit. And I was like a kid in the candy store and I was like, all right, we're going to have a jam session. And I started on guitar. And then I went to drums and then I went to bass and I went back to drums and back to guitar. I was like, let's just, I love this. Like, this is what I'm about. Like, it's just being able to jam and um, uh, collaborate off each other. Uh, it's such a, such a unique feeling and it's such a great, um, you know, it, it really, it, it, for me at least, it's able to settle my nerves and to, uh, you know, bring, bring some sort of joy back into, into our life. But, you know, as we get older, we sometimes abandon our hobbies. We, mm-hmm. we abandon our passion because we have to make money and we have to do this and we have a mortgage payment and I have this, that's the other thing. And then, you know, my, my biggest fear is, you know, I get to the end, uh, you know, as, as I get into the twilight of my life, and I've forgotten all my passions and I never lived my life with my passions. And I've seen it happen with family members, with, you know, the, the older generation, you know, they had all these great things that they were doing, but then society kicked them around and said, no, you have to make money. You're not allowed to have fun. You have to carry the world with the weight on your shoulders. And I'm just seeing that and like that, that scares me, man. And so like, I, I'm making it a point to, to continue to, to play like a child. Like, I mean, as silly as it sounds, I think it's so powerful. I want to leverage my, my my right brain and my left brain equally. And I think that by, by being able to, to engage in playtime, whether that's drawing, whether that's painting, whether that's um, playing guitar in my aspect or just playing music, uh, whatever that is, uh, I, I think that's going to lead a, a better lifestyle throughout your whole life. Because I'm not working just for retirement, you know, at, that age 65 is not what I'm going for. I'm going for today, tomorrow, and, you know, just to continuously live until the end, you know, and then at that point, it, I'm done. It's great. I live my whole life with no regrets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real key right there that you said to to be childlike in life. And that was a lesson that I had to learn uh, myself because I when I was in my 20s, I, I was thinking that I had to be serious all the time. I had to make money. And well, yeah. to be a child, that that part is over. And yeah, even now to be a child, that part is over. No question. But what I what I learned is exactly what you said. The childlike zeal of life I did not take with me. I didn't 
learn that lesson somehow, some way. And as I got older, I've learned, and I think that's why I think I draw to you. I learned that the key to life, the biggest key to life is to still be childlike in your zeal of life, to learn new things, try new things, to open your mind to new possibilities. And like you said, to not close yourself off from the passions that you know are in you, that were birthed within you. And, And that serves you so well, considering how life can throw all these things at you and these negativities that that come at you almost like like rain in a in a torrential downpour right that's a that's that's one big thing that you can hold on to the fact that wow you know i still do something that i love and i do something that brings joy not just to me but to others when i do it and mm-hmm. and then when i bring myself around others who have the same type of passion well man it makes this world that can be completely horrible a whole lot better and Right. It gives you the mentality to say, you know what? Not only is this world not so bad, but I have the power to change it. Look at what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and when I when I saw you, that's the vibe I got. And I didn't say that to you until now on air, but that was the vibe I got. It's like, okay, this guy has this childlike zeal, but I could tell he's a full man, full fledged man, but he's living life happy and he's living life full of joy, and that is a big big plus in life. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Like it, it's so you know the world could be harsh sometimes, and the world could have black clouds, but I think we're all able to make it beautiful our own way. And and you know who are we not to do that? You know. Like, like we're just, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't just, I love that quote, you know, we weren't just put on this, on this planet to work, you know, 50 hours a week, pay your bills and die. You right. know what I mean? Like there's so right. much more. I look at a guy recently, uh, this was last month. I saw Tony Bennett live and it's always been, I'm a crooner. Obviously I'm an Italian from New York and I love all the old, <laughs> you know, the standards. I play jazz, all, all that stuff. So I got to see Tony Bennett live uh, last month and the, the man is 91 years old and he sang every song with as much gusto as he did 50 years ago, it seemed like. He was tight with his band. He was in the pockets. I also follow him on social, and it's so awesome to see this guy, um, who obviously, 91, uh, not only is he touring and singing, but he still finds time to paint. He still finds time to enjoy like life's fruits that are that have been given to him. I think, you know, that's like such a, uh, I, it's, it's, I, I aspire to be 91 and be doing the same things where he's just having a good time. And it looks like, you know, you know, almost for him, the best is yet to come. And like, that's, that's just an awesome outlook on life. And how many people do we know that are in their 20s, 30s and 40s where you look at them, you're like, dude, did life pass you by already? Like, why did that happen? Like, where did it go? Like, you have so much more ahead of you. Oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to retire in 15 years. Like, who can think like that? Like, why, why are you, why is that, you know, the light at the end of your tunnel? Like, the light at the end, screw that. The light is at your feet right now. You don't need to wait for the end of the tunnel. Do it now. Live for today because you could step outside and get hit by a bus. We all can. And these things happen to people. And, you know, with that mentality, like, why are you waiting for tomorrow, for tomorrow, for tomorrow? It's analysis paralysis. You're analyzing everything you're thinking and then you're pushing it out until, you know, tomorrow land. And hey, man, tomorrow is not guaranteed by for no one. Mm, man, you're dropping some life nuggets right there. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, man. I love it. And, uh, yeah. And, and you're. And when you talked about Tony Bennett, you're exactly right, because I have a grandmother who's 90 and I have often said to her, you are 90 going on 27 
And mm. your your social life is much more active than mine. And I am many decades younger than she is. You know, and it's, it's yeah, yeah, definitely. And that and that's exact that's the exact feel I have. Good for her. Cause she is modeling for me that wow, life isn't over when you get to be this age. Actually, life can be even greater and even better. And absolutely. And I love that. So yeah, I, I, I take the example of my grandmother and I'm definitely going to take that. I'm definitely going to take the example of Tony Bennett that you just, that you just mentioned. And I'm going to keep that with me because wow. Yeah, you're right. Why should the light at the end of the tunnel be in the future? It should be now. It should be yeah. now for you. Yeah. So you, you mentioned jazz, you mentioned music and you mentioned Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so how did all of those things play into the passion that you have now you know i was a music major when i first went to college and i had a couple friends and we were there we we're taking theory classes and i was always i was I'm, I'm a decent musician um but compared to some of my friends who were borderline servants i was i was like you know i was, I was an amateur i was you know um elementary compared to them and i remember thinking to myself yeah i really like studying it but like it's getting to the point with theory that um that you start to not i don't say hate hate music but you can't just listen to it anymore without overanalyzing it and being judgmental towards it and i was like i just i don't like that feeling i, I want to have this as a passion of mine as a, as a hobby of mine and i remember you know we were all playing in a band at that time and i was the manager of the band as well as being the guitar player at that mount i was getting its gigs i was getting up on uh, us on stage so i always had this business acumen to me i always had this business sense I remember just sitting there talking to my counselor, being like, what the hell am I doing? Hey, being a music major. And it kind of dawned on me that like by getting a degree in music, you are not guaranteed a Grammy award. You're not guaranteed to go on tour. I mean, you're guaranteed a hard life, you know, because I see what the musicians, you know, around town make. They're playing at a restaurant making $100 a night. Like, you can't survive off that. So I just said to myself, listen, becoming a professional musician in that sense is not for me. But how can I combine my, my, I really enjoy business. I enjoy the game. I enjoy uh, selling and the hustle and, and strategy. And, and I was like, how can I, how can I kind of do both of them together? And so I kind of, I switched my major up to, to, to business marketing. And around the same time, I was doing a lot of improv theater. And I, I love improv. Mm -hmm. I love comedy. And I had joined a, a troupe here in Southern California. And it was a comedy Italian wedding. And it was like this whole production, three hours, all improv. And, and I, I was in a bunch of their different shows. And it was like, all right. So I had, and through these people that I met, we actually created a jazz group. And we were doing a lot of Italian-American songs. We were like everything from Sinatra to Louis Pre and Dean Martin, but then we were playing like straight ahead jazz, like Dave Fruback and, um, you know, some Count Basie tunes and whatnot. And, you know, at that point, it all started to become a little clearer. Like, okay, like I have my creative side and I have my business side. And then the term impresario started to come up. And that's, uh, you know, an Italian term that my mentor um, was telling me, like, this is what you are. You're the guy who just makes things happen. And you may not be the musician on the stage, but you're also not the guy on the soundboard. You're that middleman that is sort of his orchestrator role, you know, this conductor role. And I really took that to heart. And so uh, around 2008, 2009, I started my, I guess, my real first business uh, with another guy. We started a, a marketing agency. I had a marketing degree. We were in it. We were doing some podcasts and we had clients. And for five, six years.
years. I mean, we had we had a pretty cool little agency. We had an office in downtown San Diego. We had staff members. We had um, we had some great clients. We built, you know, we we had uh, incubated a software that I actually still a SaaS software that I still own and manage to this day. Um, but uh, at the end of at the end of it, um, you know, we just we were green in the business world, and we didn't understand just just some of the nuances to to running a business from an organizational standpoint, from an oper- operational standpoint. Um, and so we decided to to shut the doors and kind of go our separate ways. And, you know, at this time, I'm still playing in a band. I'm still doing some acting and some improv. Um, you know, I'm still keeping my creative endeavors alive. And I went to go work for an agency. And it was around this time that I started 2011. Um, you know, ultimately, I mean, this this is my kind of claim to fame story. My, my life fell apart in front of my eyes within a couple months. I was with a girl that ended abruptly and, and swiftly. Um, my business was failing. You know, we were losing money. We were hemorrhaging money. And then I got ended up, I got assaulted and stabbed in the neck by a homeless guy in broad daylight with a mini Phillips head screwdriver. Oh, this all happened within a couple months. And I was just like, oh, like it can't get any worse. This is, this is my bottom. Uh, I have two choices to make. I can sit here and let this define who I am and who I want to be, or I can leverage this as my, uh, my renaissance and I can leverage this as my turning point. Uh, and, and, and I did that. And I, I actually, I started writing and I love writing and I started writing and the terms, the creative hustler kind of came to be. Um, actually, the original term was, um, it was a talk I did at a, at a local university here called How to Have Creative Swagger. Uh, and actually, I still have the presentation. It was like March 2012. And that's when this idea kind of was born on, and I didn't know it at the time, what it is now is living at the intersection of creativity, living at the intersection of your creativity in business. Uh, and I think that's what so many people are striving to do, but aren't, aren't aware that you know you can be successful while still leveraging your creativity. You don't have to abandon it and just you know work for quote unquote the man and, and climb that corporate ladder and, and abandon all sense of passion. Uh, and so over the next over the course of you know from 2012 to um, you know I'd say 2015, um, I was at an agency and ended up leaving that agency. And my wife was at an agency as well. She comes from a digital marketing inbound marketing perspective, and we were kind of looked at each other. We were, you know she had gotten we both had left our jobs around the same time. We're like, you know, what are we going to do next? And it just, she had some clients on the side. I had some clients on the side. Like, let's just, let's just, let's just go all in. Like, this is a lifestyle. We know what we want to build. We want to build a location independent lifestyle where we're not, you know, um, having to commute to work every day and sit in traffic and be miserable in a cubicle. Um, and so we started doing it. We had a, got some clients and we sort of built up our consulting business. And then while having this creative hustler idea on the back burner, well, fast forward to, I guess, last year, last June, actually, not this, June 2016, um, I was invited to, so I was, we were in Italy, uh, Melissa and I, and I was doing uh, a lecture at a university in Milan and around uh, on branding and brand strategy. And around the same time, I got offered an opportunity to do a keynote at a conference in London called New Media Europe. And I was hesitant. I've done public speaking, but I, I don't know why I was hesitant and they wanted me to present on 
I sort of pitched this idea of the creative hustler manifesto. And I didn't really have a manifesto. I just kind of winged it. And I was just kind of like just talking about this, the ideas that I had. And she was like, this is great. We have two tracks. We have, uh, we have like the tactical plan on day two and the inspiration on day one. We'd love for you to close out you know, day one, the inspirational track. And I was like, sure, let's do it. And I was nervous as hell. I didn't want to do it. And Melissa kind of forced me to. And um, I, it was there that that just that it just it it all made sense. And I was up on stage and we were talking about it. And um, I did my speech and it was awesome. I I met so many amazing people. We had so many people come up to us afterwards and just say, whatever else you're doing, I need to take a, a backseat to to the to the fact that you can bring motivation, you can inspire, you can um, you know you can really help those who want to be in this game uh, get there. And and that was that was our catalyst. That was our uh, jumping off. On the way home from London, we had an uh, you know, eight-hour flight back to New York. We strategized what the creative hustler was and we were going to start a podcast and we're, gonna, we're, we're all, we have to do a rebranding. We're going to do a podcast. We're going to start blogging. We're going to start just pushing out content. Um, and, and now a year later, you know, um, we have a private group that is really starting to gain a lot of traction. We have have our podcast, which is, you know, which is doing really well. Um, our email list is gaining every day. And, and I'm really starting to put forward this message and people are starting to latch to it that, yes, I do want to live at the intersection of creativity and business. And yes, I want to do it where um, on my terms, where my core values and my day-to-day actions are aligned. Because that's what we talk about. You know, I have a personal branding um, course out there. I do a lot of consulting on personal branding. And for me, whether it's a personal brand or even a a corporate brand, it's all all about ensuring that your day-to-day actions and your core values are aligned. Uh, your internal dialogue matches your external action. Uh, and this all then this all came about just from really honestly called the last 15 years of all those ups and downs and all those triumphs and trials and tribulations um, and the ebb and flow of life and business and 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 all of that jazz. And it's really uh, came to this point to where, ah, the water that was so murky for a while, I, I, I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what. It, to me, it's finally becoming clearer and it's finally living up to the purpose that I that I truly believe I have. Mm, wow, man, that's a powerful story right there. Mm, and yeah. But I gave you the uh, condensed the- version too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and those people in that those people in that seminar that you spoke in front of, uh, I can see why they said that. Oh man, you motivated me, and I wasn't even I wasn't even for that. So <laughs> right on, man. Yeah, I just I love it. Like I I, I hate I sometimes uh, I'm fearful that I come off preachy and I have to bring myself back. But like I've really made it a point to you know we all talk about authenticity and being honest and and all those buzzword here buzzword there. But it's one of those things to where I just I don't want to talk about it. I just want to, I just want to be it. And some people are not going to like me. Perfect example uh, at that at New Media Europe when I was there giving that keynote uh, afterwards. Every you know, there was a dinner aspect and a lady sits next to me and she looks at me, she goes, Oh, Hey, um, can I sit here? I'm like, sure. You know, there's a couple of other empty seats. I said, sure, sit down. Uh, she goes, ah, you, uh, you gave that last speech today. I was like, I did. And then there was a, a couple, there was like a pregnant pause, right? There was a couple seconds awkward. And I was like, okay, cool. Right on. Well, thanks. And she looked at me. She goes, that wasn't a compliment. In fact, I didn't like anything that you said. I was like, wow. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Uh, at that exact moment, another gal, the organizer of the event comes, introduces another gal to, to Melissa and I and says, oh, can so-and-so sit here? 
here. Then this is next to the girl who just told me that she didn't like me at all. I right. said, sure. She sits down. She looks at me. She goes, oh, my God, you gave that last speech. High fives me, hugs me, you know, starts screaming about how awesome <laughs> I was, about this, about that, about the other thing. And I'm sitting there being like, this is crazy. Literally just had one girl say that she hates my guts and another one said that she loves me. That God has got to be a good sign. You know what I mean? That's yeah. got to be the sign of something positive. But uh, I, I understand that. I understand that I can come off abrasive, and sometimes I can just be a little too much to handle. But I, I like Popeye says, I am who I am, and that's it. Yeah, and that actually is, I, I think, the greatest barometer when when you can draw that type of passion, whether it's someone intensely loves you or someone intensely hates you, then that must mean you are really onto something. And right. Yeah, that's a really good barometer. It's so great that <laughs> it's so great that you got those two diametrically opposed opinions right in there. That is blew awesome. my mind. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, "You like?" I mean, it, it impacted me so much that here we are, you know, a year and a half later, and I'm mm-hmm. still talking about that story because to me, it's still, um, you know, it's one of those, like you just said, the, one of those defining moments of, mm-hmm. you know, just, there it is. Like, I'm in this. I'm in this for real. And we're going to have haters and we're going to have, and I think that goes for any, anyone doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're always going to have people who, the naysayers and the people who don't uh, want to see you succeed because their own ego is in the way. Um, and it's unfortunate for them. That's how I look mm-hmm. at it. It, it. it is unfortunate for them because you expose the fact that they aren't open enough to expand beyond what they limit themselves to understanding. And, you know, and, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay because, well, even though, look, we all entrepreneurs, even though we want our product to be embraced by everybody, that, of course, is the, that would be the ideal. <laughs> Right. We know, we know that our product okay. does. We know that our, you, yeah, we, exactly. you know that the creative hustle isn't for you. And I, and I know that the, the products that I put forth aren't for me. I, I know that I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, curry the favor of everybody, but you don't have to curry the favor of everybody. And I think when, and I think you had that maturity at that moment to understand, Oh, I don't have to do that. And I still am successful because I reach the people who actually can hear what I'm saying. And they can True. they can look at me and not see, well, they may see this abrasive New Yorker, but it's not abrasive to them. Or and it may be abrasive because this is the Joel that I needed to get shaken out of my malaise. It, it, you know, hey, absolutely. You know, right. Gary Vanderchuk's making a great name for himself doing that. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. I mean, that, that's that I'm about to say. I, you, you stole the thought out of my head. I was thinking, Gary V, that is his lane all day. And he owns it. He owns his backyard. And that's all we can do. I, I, what is that book? I forget. I, I forget the author but it's uh, a thousand true fans um and basically saying you know we don't need a million people to love us you know to make an awesome living we just need a thousand people and sometimes even less than that and when mm-hmm. you look at the amount of people in this world a thousand people a couple hundred people to really believe what you're doing or what, what you believe in um that isn't that isn't difficult and we don't need this giant number that everyone's Thinks, you know, millions, millions, millions. No, you just need your backyard party to be full of people who love you. That's what matters. You don't need mm-hmm. to throw a giant kegger. It's your backyard right. party. Right. Yeah. Just the concentrated few who love you because guess what? That concentrated few that will love you will grow and they'll be more passionate to spread what you're about more so than yeah. if you somewhat catch the ear of someone who really could care less about what you are and what your brand is and who you are. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally, because even from a marketing perspective, you know, you're building, uh, by building up, you know, your advocates, they're advocating for you. They are mm-hmm. doing your marketing, and that is the best kind of marketing there is. Better yep. than Facebook ads, better than PPC, better than anything else is peer-to-peer and somebody going out on a limb and saying, no, you have to listen to this podcast or, or you know, or buy this product because you're going to believe that. We believe our peers more so than an advertisement. Right. No question about that. Oh, wow. All right. So you mentioned the creative hustle. I want to talk about what seemingly to me is a linchpin in your creative hustle. So tell me, how did you meet your wife who you set off air actually is from Boston, which sports wise is really interesting. <laughs> oh, we are a house divided, especially um, this year is getting real interesting because uh, Red Sox, as of right now, uh, as of as of today, when we're recording this in middle September, um, three games up on the Yankees in the AL East. And so we met in 2011 at a funny enough, man, at an entrepreneur event. I was down there, uh, you know, I was with, I had a business, I had my agency at that time and I was sort of helping out with the organizers of the event. And Melissa uh, was just attending the event. She was very new here in San Diego, didn't know anyone, um, bartender by trade and by, by work, but knew, she knew that she wanted, that she had this, uh, this fire inside her. And that's one of the main reasons why she moved from Boston to San Diego was to, um, you know, cut, cut, cut out all the, all the distractions and focus mm-hmm. on herself and her personal development. And that led her down a path of entrepreneurship, um, you know, with the barrier to entry being really as low as it is these days. And we ha- met there and, um, you know, one that's funny, you bring up the sports, one of the first things that was said between us, because it was around, I think it was around this time of the year, September, October. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, you know, we have to leave here in a little bit. I have to go watch the Yankee game because the Yankees oh. were in the playoffs. She looked at me and she's like, are you a New Yorker? And I was like, I am. She was. Oh, we're fighting right now. We're so fighting. Because she was from. She's a Red Sox fan. She worked at Fenway for a couple years. Like oh, Red Sox fan. And I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> well, since then, Yankees and Red Sox have yet to really meet head to head in some mm. postseason action. And it might be this year. And the big, uh, the big, you know, the irony of the situation is uh, we may not even be in the country if that happens. So we may not even be able to watch it. So I'll be waking up at four o'clock in the morning to watch the ALCS if it happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord. Yeah, because that that was what stood out to me. I was like, oh, okay, a Long Island Long Island kid, and he married a Bostonite, uh, a Bostonian. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> we are a house divide. Yeah, Sorry, just for baseball, uh, I'll give you know football. I'm not big. You know, my parents are from Italy, and and I don't. Uh, not that I don't like American football, but like I just wasn't raised on it. And I'm not like a diehard Giants or Jets fan. So football, you know, go Pats. When she, when the Pats are on and she's all good for it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and I said, listen, when we have children, if you want to make them a Pats fan, go right ahead. Um, I get soccer because I'm a soccer. I'm an addict. I'm a, I'm a freak. I love that sport. The beautiful game. Um, I get soccer. Done and done. You get a football. Now, when it comes to baseball, we have two choices. Okay. Uh, we can, we can, you know, make bad impressions in front of our children and fight and, and do all that. Or they could become like, you know, Padre fans or Mets fans or something, you know, some, some team, some, you know, some team from some somewhere else so we'll see what happens when we get to that point it's going to be fun yeah yeah that that would be fun uh and and here, here's a good example of how fun it could be 
So I uh, attended my mother-in-law's church and found out that the the pastor is a huge, well, this is college football, huge Alabama fan, huge Crimson Tide mm-hmm. fan, loves him. I mean, loves it to the point where before one sermon, it was after a huge game, he actually said, okay, I want you to get up right now and I want you to shake the hand of and or hug. Oh, let me see, about uh, 21 people. And of course, the number 21 came up because at that at that particular time, the day, the night before, uh, Alabama, I think, was playing LSU and they beat them 21 to 17. And so after he said 21, here is the score that's flashed upon the screen in white letters and crimson background. <laughs> here's the here's the funny here's the funny kicker to that though. His wife is a huge Auburn fan. Oh boy, house divided as well. That is a house divided. So I remember that. I think that was November when I, when I saw that. So my wife and I came back two months later and Auburn actually ended up, I think that year playing for the national championship. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, his wife had a chance to speak for a second to the congregation. And at the end, she ended it by saying, uh, what was it? War Eagle. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. <laughs> But they love each other. Yeah. It's one of those, like, we love each other. We give each other hell sometimes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's like, you know, oftentimes she'll be wearing her Red Sox hat. I'll be wearing on Yankee. And people be like, so how's that work out? And we're like, oh, you know, it's a struggle sometimes, but it works out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be, I think it was fun when, when, when that time comes for you guys. Yeah, no, it'll definitely, it'll definitely be fun. And, and like I said, you know, we're, we're leaving the country in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, for the next couple months. And, you know, it probably will happen while, you know, we don't have access to ESPN. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we'll be reading it on our phone the next day and what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the creative hustle. All right. So you mentioned earlier how you and your wife pulled together these entrepreneurs your resources and say, well, hey, we'll, we'll slide all of our chips to the center of the table and we're going to roll with it from there. What made you decide to come up with that name? The Creative Hustler, like I said, uh, I think it was in, in 2012, I was doing a talk um, for, for college students about how to have creative swagger. And that was the name of was the name of the talk I did. And just sort of a couple months later, I'd done an interview for, uh, it was like a, it was a blog, I think it was called The Ninjapreneur, to be completely honest with you. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> And it was in that interview that that term, the creative hustler, just sort of kind of came out. And that's what he entitled the article, uh, The Creative Hustler with Stephen Bacanza. And and I was like, all right, that's, that's kind of cool. And I just kind of went with it. I just started doing some blogging about it. And I was at agencies. I did, I, I've written for like Advertising Week and HubSpot and a bunch of marketing publications. And I would always sort of tie it back into being a creative hustler and, you know, looking for opportunities and the idea, especially from a new business perspective perspective because I focused a lot on um, new business and brand strategy was my fortes and a lot about you know, especially in, in a new business setting it's all about mindset all about you know being able to roll with the punches being quick on your feet to talk to, uh, quick to spot opportunities and knowing when you know the right opportunities are just that the right opportunities and everything that goes around that and that just really framed my my mindset and, and to be completely real I mean there were years that had gone by where I didn't do anything with you know I had maybe an Instagram account 
account and that's all I was doing or I had um, you know some social but it, it really wasn't until uh, I'd say 20 end of 2015 2016 that we started pumping resources time and money into it and really and realized that okay well if we're gonna do this we're gonna do this right we're gonna we're gonna have to make mistakes we're gonna have to learn this the hard way um, and we just started going for it and we bootstrapped it all I mean we are still continuing to bootstrap it and you know while you know we are starting to to make a little bit of money off of it um, you know it's still very much our side hustle uh, for the time being and and you know I think we're on we're on progress for hopefully 2018 to really be um, you know really do some good out there and you know we, we, we have the private group and we're launching a membership side to our website. Just to, mm-hmm. We have all these resources. I mean, I got 15 years of agency experience, really. Um, and, and so does Melissa. And we know we're both you know, very savvy marketers, very savvy branders. And, and more and more people are, are coming up to us, asking us for advice, asking us for help, uh, whether that's consulting or one-on-one coaching, just you know, really wanting to be part of our ecosystem and our network. And so uh, it's just like, all right, well, I think here might be a business model. Here might be something um, viable, you know, uh, and it grew organically as opposed to, you know, that's rewind six months ago when I wasted thousands of dollars in Facebook ads trying to, you know, I got a couple of funnels. Let's see what we can do and just not getting it right because we, we, we missed a step. And that, that step was, ah, we forgot to nurture our current list, our current people. And, and so that's really where we're at now. And I think, you know, I think, you know, as a piece of advice for anyone starting out and, and wanting um, to have influence and, and wanting to make money online. And it, it all comes down to your list and comes down to nurture and, you know, making them trust you and trust what you have to say. And it hasn't been easy. And it takes discipline and it takes um, consistency, just doing it every day. And I forget who I was reading. I think it's, um, uh, I forget I'm one of these email lists I'm signed up with and he was like, you know, the thing that really catapulted his business was he decided he was going to email his list every day for a whole year. Uh, 365 days straight, he was going to email his list. And he goes, you know, people are either going to think I'm crazy and they're going to delete me, but if they delete me and unsubscribe, good, because I don't want them on my list anyway. And he goes, and the craziest thing happened. After a while, uh, if I skipped a day by accident, somebody would email me like, hey, I didn't get your email at 7.30 this morning. And they started, the open rates started getting a lot higher and the engagement rates starting to get a lot higher because there was that consistency and that discipline side of it. And, you know, I think really when growing a business, no matter what kind of business, I mean, those are, those are um, valuable, you know, valuable, uh, you know, insights that like uh, you have to do, you have to be, there is no get rich quick scheme. The fly by night tactics that everyone is looking at and sees is not going to be a savior to your business. What's going to save your business is, is your process, is your people. And, you know, is the discipline to be consistent in everything that you do. That is what's going to really make you scalable and give you the longevity that we all are searching for in business, as opposed to, like I said, you know, having your five minutes of fame because you know how to do Facebook ads today. Well, that's going to change tomorrow. Trust me. Zuckerberg's smart enough to change the algorithm so no one's getting crazy rich off of him. Just a little rich. I like that. Just a little rich. <laughs> and, and you, you, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. The fact that 
that you have to be consistent in any business, any business model. I agree with you. No matter what you do, consistency is the key because it, 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 it gives the customer this, this trust feeling of a brand, you know, like if, for example, with Coca-Cola, when, you know, they were going strong almost a hundred years and then they decided to have this harebrained idea to change the formula. And so they mm-hmm. did that. And six months later, they were like, Oh, forget that. <laughs> and, 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 and the crowd that was that and, and their customer base that was drinking their stuff. They're like, no, uh, we want the original taste. Right. So they brought so the original it's taste not back. broken. Why are you fixing it? Right. It ain't broken. Don't fix it. Let, we want we want how it uh, has been served to us. So serve it the way you always have. And they went back to it. And they haven't changed it after that. It, it, it's that familiarity. And no matter what business is it, what, what business it is, that customer wants to feel, ah, this is my product. And they want to mm-hmm. feel at home with it almost as much, if not more at times, and in different ways, definitely more than you do with yours. And you're right. You bring home that consistency. That is what makes customers loyal to your brand. And that is a very powerful yeah. lesson that you just said right there. Yeah, uh, so powerful. And, and no matter what stage of your business you're in. Last week, I actually, I'm a, I'm a mentor for SCORE. And so last week I did, um, SCORE is a part of the SBA, uh, you know, the, the government small business association. I did a webinar and I had um, 1,500 people on this webinar and it was the biggest webinar I'd ever done. I mean, I was so flattered and humbled by it. Uh, and that's exactly what I was talking about. You know, it was no matter what stage of your business and you know, whether you, you're just starting out or you've been in business for 15 years, we have to be consistent. We have to, especially, there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of gray, white noise going on because of the internet and social and everything. And um, those who, who have shiny, bright new object syndrome aren't going to last. <laughs> but those who are strategic and have uh, the wherewithal to understand that consistency is always going to reign su- supreme, we're going to be around. We're going to we're going to be around for a while because we, we understand um, mm-hmm. and we're in it for the right reasons. And, and that's something that I, I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm so uh, I'm passionate about and something that like I, I when I consult with businesses, it's a big part of it. And it's like, oh, it's so simple, but it really isn't like it takes accountability, takes the right strategy, takes the right mindset, it takes all this other stuff to make that actually happen. And and that's what, you know, if, if nothing else from this interview that your listeners take away, I hope it's that. I hope it's that, you know, being consistent uh, consistently uh, is, is the name of the game. And, that, and that's what's going to set us apart from others. Mm, yeah. And, and speaking of setting yourself apart, uh, look, do yourself a favor and go to the creativehustler.com. You can see this is one of those brands that it definitely sets itself apart from everything else. And you have your hand in so many different things. I mean, you teach courses, you write blogs, you have a podcast. How do you find the time to actually create all this content and not be tired? <laughs> I, I, I love creating the content. And it's only been recently that we've really, it's about the team. Like without my team, um, which, which stretches from, I mean, we live in a global economy. It stretches from London to the Philippines to uh, the Caribbean to Colorado without the team, uh, the dream does not work. And, and that's, what I attribute everything to. Um, so it allows me to create content and continue to, you know, be this quote unquote visionary. Um, but you know, it really, it's, it's a haul. It's a, it's an 
all hands on deck mentality that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it shows. It actually shows in what you're saying. I, I, didn't, I don't even have to look at your product. I have though, but I don't even have to look at your product to know that you are, you are a part of a really good team and you, you definitely have a vision that is powerful and that, that is needed in this space. You know, the fact that the, the fact that you, the name itself, the name of your business itself makes people understand, wow, so hustles don't have to be boring, doesn't have to be illegal, doesn't have to be immoral. It actually can be fun. It actually can right. be, it actually be, it can be entertaining. It actually can feed me in ways outside of money. And of course, with money too, but it can feed me in ways outside of money that makes me expand my horizons in life. And to have a vehicle like that, hats off to you. And I'm glad that you have that type of creativity to actually bring forth a platform where it gives permission to other people and other businesses. Oh, so I can be creative. I can open up my mind and, and I, and I can find my way to, to, to get to other avenues to make myself better, make the world better, make everything around me better. Yeah. That's, that, that's a beautiful tool. Yeah, no, you, 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 you spoke it, uh, you spoke the word very nicely right there. No, it, it, it is, man. And, uh, just, it's my duty to, to, to do this. And, I, and that's what I feel we all have a purpose and a mission in life. And, um, took me many, many years to figure out what mine was. But like now that I think that I've actually figured it out, um, it's like a Rubik's cube, right? Now magic, mm-hmm. now, now the magic can really happen. I've right. lined everything up. So, but just like anything, oh man, it's a struggle. And, and there are many mornings where, I just want to curl up into a ball and fry my eyes out. <laughs> yeah. I'd be lying to you if I told you that, you know, that's not like a weekly occurrence. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, my light that's at my feet that I'm walking towards is, is extremely bright. And, and that's, that's what it is. And, and, and honestly, I got the hell else am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, this is it. This is, this is what I'm here to do. I, I figured it out. Like, I'm not going to get a job. Like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just, it's a one, it's a lifestyle. And that's what that's what we talk about with the creative hub is you know we want to build a lifestyle and it's a lifestyle that's different for everyone everyone has their own uh version of what living at the intersection of creativity and business is um it doesn't necessarily creativity doesn't necessarily mean you're a designer you're an artist you're a musician you could do tax and still be creative you can uh you know work even in a nine to five and 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 be in you know an executive vice president but still bring creativity and that act of playfulness back into the workplace. And, uh, you know, and, and to me, that's powerful because I think we're looking, you know, so many people wear, uh, I worked 85 hours this week as a badge of honor. Oh. To me, that's not a badge of honor. That's a badge of, you know, for the sake of saying, it's a badge of stupidity. Like, wow, that sucks for you. Like, you know, I don't want my time to dictate my money. My value should dictate my money. And they're very much different mentality, you know, when you start looking at it like that. But, you know, society has, has given us for so long, you know, these, you know, these status quos that, oh, now you have to work a lot of hours. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to go to college and, you know, get a degree and become a doctor. Like, no, no, you don't. You don't have to do any of that. You can do what you want to do and still make a living and, and even more so make an impact. Mm-hmm. No question. No question. I mean, what good is it if you're going to be a slave on this, uh, on this planet? 
I mean, you know, if you were going to volunteer yourself to be one, what good are you? So, yeah, I, I totally am with you on that. I'm totally with you on that. Man, I could continue on with because, the, whew, man, you're good to talk to. I love I love talking to you. Uh, but I know your time. I'm having a great time. I, yeah, I am, too. Unfortunately, though, I know your time is valuable, so I will cut this short. But before I do, I have these questions to ask. Now, I think you mentioned a few of these, but I will be interested to see if there's another one. Uh, what is the biggest regret or your biggest lesson learned in your life? I, I actually posted that same question in our Facebook group yesterday. Like, what was the biggest entrepreneurial lesson? I have, I have, I have hundreds of them. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the big ones and 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 stuck out to me. Um, like I think I mentioned earlier in the beginning, I I still have a SaaS software that I, I run and manage, and it's nothing crazy. And and but anyway, uh, years ago when we were first building this, uh, we we had dollar signs in our eyes. And we essentially made bad contracts and outpriced ourselves in the market because we thought that we had one whale of a client and it was going to propel us any, everywhere um, mm-hmm. and get us to where we want to be. And, and ultimately, uh, we, we entered into that partnership of blinders. And um, that's a big regret of mine. And I sometimes think back to that, like what had happened if we actually listened to the advice other people had given us or, or even taking this up further, what had happened if we actually seek real advice um, and actually put some of that seed money that we had gotten into setting up our systems and processes and because we didn't know about it. And that ultimately was the demise of my first agency was that we didn't have our systems and our processes set in place and we were bleeding and hemorrhaging money left and right. And it was a big learning lesson for me because I, I had to get a job after that. Like I actually had to get, I was a W-2 employee, <laughs> get a yeah. paycheck every two weeks. Uh, luckily, I worked for a creative agency, which, you know, doesn't stock and you know is where my passion was and I still love the agency world and I'm still very much involved with agencies but at the same time I wasn't building my own dream anymore I was building somebody else's dream and it it tore at daily it tore at me because I was working for the agency I had wanted to build Uh, and it was a humbling experience and and when I left there I vowed I will never mismanage my business I will never from an operational standpoint from a from a business uh you know, an overall business uh, standpoint, I will never like take those shortcuts, you know, and, and, and jeopardize something that I'm trying to build, you know, for the long run. Um, and to me, man, that was, that was such an eye opening, eye awakening moment. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know why I have this, this meme that I have seen when you said it, if you're not building your dream, you're busy building someone else's. And I, yeah. for a long time felt, felt ill. I mean, I, I literally felt ill in my stomach and didn't know why, you know, I, I didn't know why I was feeling ill. And it took, it, it took seeing that and understanding that, wow, okay, this is what I want to do in life. And now I understand why I have this pit in my stomach and it just opened my eyes so wide. So yeah, yeah, I, I can see how those lessons can be. Uh, absolutely. It was um, when I was doing that speech in Europe and I actually have, I've used this a lot as a, as like a platform. I, I say, uh, screw the ladder. Like that's a big thing to me, like screw the ladder. I have access to the same hardware, same wood, the same nails. I can go to Home Depot and I can buy all that stuff and I can build my own ladder. So why am I going to build somebody else's ladder? When I have my own ladder to build, and it's that same mentality that you just said, you know, either you're making somebody, either you're making yourself money and you're building your own lifestyle, or you're funding somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And if you have that heart to be an entrepreneur, or you have that dream that you want to do, 
that it, it's not going to sit well with you until you start to build on your own. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. just isn't. All right. So, Agreed. Fl- oh yeah. All right. So flipping the coin, what has been in a life, in a life thus far filled with accomplishments? What has been in your mind the greatest one? Um, as, as we were just finishing up this previous conversation, I was thinking about how happy I was. Literally, as you were talking, talking about that meme, I was like, how happy am I right now to be sitting literally in my apartment um, doing what I love? And I think if I had one singular, like my biggest accomplishment is the fact that I'm still able to do this and that like it hasn't, you know, been taken away from me yet and I didn't screw it up yet. And I think every day I wake up with that mentality of just gratefulness um, that like I'm grateful that I still am able to do this. And, and there is uh, there is no, you know, there, 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 there are so many opportunities out there that like, you know, it's just it just makes me happy. And, and maybe that's not like a direct answer to the question but um as an accomplishment that like years later everything that i was talking about when i was in my 20s of what i'm going to do i'm going to do this i'm going to be this kind of person this is what i want to be um 10 years later 15 years later i i'm becoming that person and to me that's that's huge because growing up man i was i was the joker i you could probably imagine this i was the joker i was the one who no one took seriously you know i have cousins who are doctors and lawyers and my sister's got a master's degree my brother-in-law has a master's degree and you know i barely you know fudged my way through college and barely graduated high school in that sense just because i was a social butterfly and i was doing everything else but going to school so i was always never taken seriously and i was always that kid who uh hopefully steven figures it out one day figures it out one day and then i feel like you know all going through all of that those ups and downs and those doubters and naysayers it, it has been my fuel my my inspiration and and now you know as i you know i'm, I'm 35 years old and i'm just finally getting to you know getting into my own shoes it's like wow like everything i said i was going to do actually doing and like Tim that's like that's huge for me man that's the biggest for someone who I feel like I was written off from a, for a lot of people you know Steven uh, you know, yeah he's gonna try to become a rock star that was my thing in the early 20s I'm gonna become a rock star I'm gonna become this I'm gonna become that I'm gonna own a restaurant I'm gonna do this I've always had these big ideas and then all of a, all of a sudden holy shit these big ideas aren't are starting to come true and people are starting to take notice and people are starting to like well, hey man that's really cool that you're doing this or really cool that you're doing that and um, that's awesome for me like that is the biggest just I, I smile and, and just, again, thank my lucky stars that I'm still here to be able to do this. Mm, and that's the fuel that's going to propel you to even greater places than you even imagined. Just the fact that you yeah. just the fact that you're so gratitudinal and so thankful that you you have the, the freedom to live the life that you want to live. And you're doing it in a way where you want to help other people do the same thing. Yeah, that that is a that is a rewarding feeling. And that is an accomplishment in and of itself. The fact that you can you can live your life free of building someone else's dream. Now, that is that is a freedom and that is an accomplishment all its own. So, yeah, no question about that. No question. So this is the time of the show where I allow anyone who has parting shots to make like for you and your for your example, if you want to say anything injurious toward the Red Sox nation. <laughs> or, or if you have any more words of wisdom that you've already dispensed, but if you have any more that you want to dispense, whatever's in your heart, mind, soul, spirit, doesn't matter right now. The floor is 
yours. Awesome. Uh, yeah, the Red Sox can have their nation because we got the Yanks done. <laughs> um, you know, guys, I, I, I'm all about connections and I'm all about, you know, being reciprocal. So reach out to me uh, through the website, thecreativehustler.com. Um, there's a contact form there or reach out to me on social. I'm sure I'll be, a, you know, I'll throw all my social links on the show notes and, and everything. And just really, um, I'm here to I'm here to help. So and, and be a resource. And I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. So just reach out to me and, and let's start a conversation. That's that's really it. Mm, all right. Well, and also you heard him mention that he's going to be basically uprooting and, and touring Europe for a while. So uh, many blessings to you and your wife as you make your way through and hopefully you all learn many lessons, enjoy your journey and come back safely to wherever you decide to move. And I hope the journey really is enriched, full of enriched thoughts, uh, successes and journeys. I really, I really hope the best for the both of you. Thanks, man. I had a blast on this podcast. So uh, you're awesome. Thanks for for having me. No problem. No problem. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the co-CEO of the creative hustler and an all around good guy, Stephen Picanza and a new friend of mine. So Stephen, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me guys. We'll catch you on the, uh, catch you on the other side. The power of positivity. It just is, is infectious. When you're around somebody who's positive, you want to be around them. And it is that that saying that like attracts like is really difficult to dislike anything that Stephen is about. I mean, he's such a great, great, great influential person. And I could see how people would be drawn to his brand, his family and his personality. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. And when I hear Stephen speak about life, especially that of an entrepreneur and all the things that he's learned and all the passions that he has. It makes me think that he is so ready to sing about how good life is. And that's a really good example for me to learn and to take with me to other things as I apply whatever I have to apply joyfully in life. I really appreciate that example and I appreciate him. So I am immensely, immensely touched by Stephen and his presence. Many thanks to Stephen Bacanza for gracing us with his presence. And you can check him out on many social media platforms, and we will have all of that in the show notes. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O. Every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. <laughs>